What's up? I'm Justin, and welcome to the Talking Pixels podcast, helping you take your photography from hobby to a career. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Florida-based beauty and portrait photographer, Sony artisan, educator, and YouTuber, Miguel Quiles. Hey, Miguel, how is it going? It's going well. Good to be here. Awesome. Well, I knew I was going to be talking to you today, so I had to break out my Naruto shirt. And sure enough, you're also wearing one. Um, I knew you were a fan, so I had to throw it out there, too. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah, of course, man. <laughs> I see it in all your videos, and uh, I've always, I always get super excited when I find another Naruto fan. Yeah, man. I feel like there's a bunch of us out there. We're just like real quiet about it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's becoming more. I see a lot of it on TikTok, and maybe that's just my algorithm. But um, I feel like more and more people are finally catching on to the train that they uh, they may have missed out on a killer show. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, I, I wonder how people get by in life not having <laughs> experienced this show. It's right. So good. That's right. I got to agree with you, man. So, hey, um, so on the Talking Pixels podcast, obviously, we're not doing a whole lot of anime talk, but um, our goal is to help photographers take their photography from hobby to career. And you've made quite a name for yourself in the industry. So uh, without further ado, you ready to get started in some questions here? ready man i'm an open book let's do this sweet sweet let's do it all right so you know i did a little bit of digging on you to find out a little bit more about your background and stuff um and you know we we met briefly at pixel photo fest uh well now it's coming up on two years ago almost since covid um but um i found out so i I found out that you are a self-taught photographer is that true that is true That's pretty impressive to have started as a self-taught photographer to all these accolades and stuff that you've, you know, gotten for yourself. Um, But I wanted to ask, so I I myself came from a more like formal educational background. I I studied it at Ohio University. I studied commercial photography and then from there started working in portrait studios um, under other photographers. Um, So when I heard that you were a self-taught professional, I wanted to ask, how difficult was it not only to teach yourself the fundamentals of photography, but then also go about building an entire business, uh, you know, without that education of coming from a studio background or, um, you know, having schooling to teach you about that? I think that it was challenging to start off for sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to going to school, you know, having that curriculum, having that discipline. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of value to that. But strangely enough, throughout my career, throughout my years working in in corporate America, I worked a lot of jobs where I had no experience going into it and then quickly ended up becoming the uh, what we call the subject matter expert, you know, at whatever jobs it was that I had. So, for example, I worked in a, a camera store that was my first exposure to photography. And starting out in that camera store, I never owned a camera outside of like a, a you know, those little throwaway cameras that you'd buy at like the the drugstore. Um, never really messed with a camcorder or anything like that. And here I am working in a store where I have to sell this stuff to people who have used it. And um, you know, through through a lot of practice, through a lot of just hands-on, through just being curious. And I I, I think that curiosity kind of carried me through a lot of different careers, doing a lot of different things and ultimately finding success in these various avenues that I would explore. Uh, It was just a matter of just being curious and figuring things out and having this like belief that 
if somebody else out there figured it out and they were able to figure it out not doing it the conventional way, that I could do that as well. And and that's, uh, you know, my position, uh, whatever it might be uh, in photography, it's because of that, because of that curiosity and just that belief that if somebody else did it, I could too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, it's super interesting to like, that's a, a cool viewpoint on it that you just looked at it as, I mean, and where my head went as you were explaining that is like, obviously the first person who, you know, started doing photography, like the very first guy had no inten- no idea where he was headed with it either. Right. And had to right. have been entirely self-taught too. So, you know, mm-hmm. if he can do it, why can't I is a great mentality to have. Um, and that was something that actually for myself, you know, I, because I get asked a lot um, because I come from a more formal education of like going to school for photography. If I really feel that it's necessary, um, you know, if I if I think that it's advantageous to go and uh, get a degree in photography. And usually what I tell people is, and, and, you know, so far in my experience, which is you know fairly limited, I've only been doing this professionally now for, you know, going into my fifth year. Um, but what I found is that most things that I learned in school are readily available outside of school. Um, there right. was some elements to it that I think were helpful. I had access to a lot of equipment and, um, ex- you know, I, I had access to studios and stuff like that, that you wouldn't have when you're not in school. But as far as the educational side of it, I mean, there's educators like yourself um, and, and many other people out there who are constantly putting out new content that are, that's educating you on the the new, the latest in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um and that was one of my harshest criticisms of school is that it was it, when I came out of school, I felt like the education was very dated. Um, right. I, I felt like I was learning things that were, you know, 15, 20 years behind where the actual industry was now. And I think that if you want to be relevant in the industry, the best way is to pay attention to the people who are educating and currently working in the industry. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with you. I do think that there is some value in going to to a formal college. Um you know, maybe not necessarily to learn photography, because I do think, you know, there there are other ways. I'm not going to say better ways, but there's other ways to learn it. Um, but what it does help you to do is to learn how to learn. And maybe some people have trouble with that, you know. Uh, and so being disciplined to really kind of sit down, go through the lessons, uh, practice to be able to get you know, feedback from a professor, feedback from your pre from your peers. All of this is is advantageous. It's just a different. It's just different. You know, um, I, I definitely wouldn't knock it. I went back to school when when I started my photography career. I actually, was going uh, taking college courses as well, just not in photography. Um, so there there's a lot of value to to going to college, getting it in in business and marketing. Uh, digging into those side of like that side of things. But as far as for photography itself, you're hundred percent right. There's so many free resources out there. And honestly, if you're curious enough and you take your camera and you just go out and shoot, you eventually will start to figure things out. It becomes like a muscle memory. It becomes a reflex and obviously watching videos, reading books, all of that helps to, to make it better. But um you know, we all learn differently. I, I definitely wouldn't knock the person that uh, chose to go that that route. Yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, like I said, I definitely feel as though I got some uh, some good value out of it for sure. Um, but you know, even compared to um, 
you know, going out to conferences, which I know you you've spe- spoke at multiple conferences across the United States. Um, I, I gain so much information and just uh, industry knowledge from even attending those. And I find, um, you know, Pixel Photo Fest was a perfect example. You know, we we brought these top name speakers to Cleveland. I shouldn't say we. The Pixel Connection brought these top name speakers to uh, Cleveland, and which is you know was huge for me because any other large convention that you want to go to, whether it's imaging or WPPI, um, are usually nowhere near me. So it's not easy right. to get to. Um, and But I found it really interesting that there was a lot of, or most of the people there were older. I, I don't want to say old necessarily, but like I, I felt like I was one of the youngest people at the entire conference. And I found that interesting because this is such great knowledge and information. And I think the people who can benefit from it most actually are the people who are just beginning into their careers and just trying to right. pursue this. Um, have you, I mean, have you noticed that at other conferences and stuff that you talked about that it typically, you know, I don't want to say necessarily caters to an older crowd, but it, it attracts an older crowd as opposed to a younger crowd of people. Yeah. I, I, I could see where you would see that uh, in certain conferences, um, there are some conferences that I see the exact opposite, though. Interesting. Um, like, for example, um, Shutterfest is is okay. a, the one that's jumping out at me right now. Um, you get a really diverse um, age group, um, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. Like everything is just like the whole spectrum is there. Um, but I do see some of these bigger conferences where you do have. You know, people that um, have the ability to go and spend a week in in Las Vegas in in a really kind of fancy hotel and, right. um, you know, uh, can afford to make that type of a trip. And um, so, yeah, I I, I I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could see that for sure. Um, it, it, to me, is kind of disappointing in many ways because I would like to be able to reach those people. But at the same time, like, that's where YouTube becomes this... Um, yes great thing because you see the exact opposite on YouTube. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And that's what I was actually going to ask next. Um, and then I had a, I want to backtrack a little bit, but I wanted to ask, you know, th- this year with COVID, it's been um, very different in terms of how conferences and uh, educational events have been going. And I know you've been doing some yeah. stuff, more stuff online and some more live um, stuff through uh, YouTube. And so how have one, how do you feel like that has affected you in terms of like teaching and educating? And two, how do you feel as though it's, you know, how is that translated to everybody who is attending those events? Do you feel like it, the information is still coming across in the same way? Or do you feel like it's inhibited a little bit of the learning process? Uh, I think it depends on how you take it uh, as as the educator. Um, for me, I think that it's actually done really good things because me being able to, for example, have access, like I'm here in my studio right now, mm-hmm. um, when I do virtual uh, classes and, and conferences, I have my entire studio available to me. So usually when I travel for a conference, I'm in a roller bag. I try to bring the things that are the most kind of like useful and common things that I would talk about. Um, but oftentimes I'll be talking or I'll be demonstrating something and I'm like, ooh, I wish I had this because... I feel like there would be great benefit in me kind of like showing you what I actually use in my studio. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it doesn't matter how much I pack and how much I prepare. There's always something that I forget. Right. Um, so I, I think from a viewer's perspective, they they do get a little bit of an additional benefit. But at the same time, I also think it's very difficult for people to be able to stay engaged when they're watching online. Um, 
you know, unfortunately, the way that um, our brains are wired these days with cell phones and things like that, we have very short attention spans. And so it's a lot easier to kind of hold people's attention when it's there and it's in person and they're mm-hmm. like right there in front of you um, versus when it's online. And if they get bored or whatever, they just kind of phase out. Um, so, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And then from the instructor's point of view, we have to do a lot of like theatrics to try to you know, keep, keep people's attention. And, mm-hmm. um, so it's, uh, it's different, it's different, but, um, for me, it's been really cool trying to explore different ways to be able to teach and, and to take advantage of this new world that we're in right now where, um, people have time, people are at home and, um, now's a great time to grow and learn new things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've tried to take advantage of as many of these, um, online conferences that have been going on or the ones that I see that have been going on because it is one, it's way more convenient to be able to attend. Um, but I, I have missed the, you know, the, the personal connection aspect of it, uh, because specifically like at imaging this year, they were showing a, uh, it was almost like everything was pre-recorded, So it, which yeah. is fine, you know, as far as a class goes, that's fine. But when you're at these conferences, you, you know, I miss the Q and a portion. I miss the interaction right. with other people who are at the speaker and, or sorry, seeing the speaker. Um, so I definitely miss that aspect of it, but it's one, it's, it's definitely helped affordability wise to be able to attend right. these things. I think that's really great from a consumer's perspective. Um, and, and two, it also allows you a little bit more of leniency where if you miss a presentation by somebody, you have the ability to go back and rewatch it because it is recorded in digital. Uh, so there's a record of it. You can always, you know, if two people who you want to see are speaking at the same time, you don't have to pick one or the other. You can go back right. and rewatch it, which is really nice too. Um, Agreed. Cool. Well, I do want to backtrack just a little bit here um, because I know you had mentioned that you'd started kind of your photography career as a salesperson in in a local camera store. Um, And so you said you went into that with next to no knowledge of what you were going to be selling. How, what attracted you to that position? And then how do you feel like that ultimately impacted your trajectory, the trajectory of your career? How did that persuade you into pursuing becoming a full-time photographer? Yeah, that's, um, (laughs) it's kind of a funny just um, sequence of events that kind of led me to it. Um, At the time, so I'm working in this very busy mall, um, and I was a third key manager for a video game retailer that has been in the news a lot lately, uh, that begins with game and ends with stop. And uh, so I'm, I'm a third key manager in this um, in this like retail store, uh, working crazy hours. Um, and the the manager who worked at this camera store, it was literally like right across the hallway. Like when I opened my doors in the morning, I could see directly into their store. They can see into mine. Um, and the manager of that store would basically just like casually walk into my store every morning. And, you know, like we all did when we work in the mall, we just talked to like neighboring employees at different stores, like Spencer's was right next door. So I knew all the people there. Um, and so we, we just had conversations and, um, he, he saw something in me at the time that I didn't really kind of see in myself, but he was like, Hey, you know, um, uh, if you want to make some real money, you should come and work with me, like come work with us. And I remember at the time looking across the way at the store and um, and I felt like it was always empty. And I'm like, I'm not sure how you guys are making money because I don't see any foot traffic whatsoever. Like, I feel like you're just making all this stuff up. And um, 
he kept persisting every every morning pretty much would come by and was like hey you know you should really consider coming to work with us and um finally one day he showed me the commission slip of one of the guys who i swear i would see sitting all the time and you know he was making like uh you know 150 200 a day in commission and i'm at the time you know i'm 18 years old um i'm just thinking to myself like holy cow that's like a lot of money so I, I might make that in you know a week uh working at at, at the store and so um so i i, I kind of just went out there and and started working with them and i realized early on like okay there's there's a bit of a challenge here because when people would come in i could sell dvd players and stuff like that had no problem because i had that experience uh, like i owned them uh but what i didn't own was like camera equipment and and video equipment and so when uh, customers would come in and ask questions about that stuff, I really could just read the box to them, you mm -hmm. know, and it's, it's hard to pick up a lens box and they're like, oh, like I distinctly remember somebody asked me one time, oh, I need a wide angle lens. I'm going to Disney with my family. And, and I picked up a box and I was like, oh, this is a really good lens. It's um, 70 to 200. And <laughs> um, that's, that's a telephoto lens. And I'm like, yeah, it's a great, right? Like I had no idea, mm -hmm. no clue what the heck was going on. And, um, and I remember one of the sales guys saw this and he was like fuming mad because he's like, I could have sold that guy a lens and you know, you just messed it up. And, and I was like, man, I'm going to have to really like, he's right. Like he probably could have sold him something and I goofed up. And so um, that's when I was just like, okay, I need to learn if I'm going to talk to people about this stuff. Like I need to know what the heck I'm talking about. And so I bought a camera. Uh, the store was really cool in that they would let you basically buy something and then they just take it out of your paycheck. So you could just tell them like, oh, hey, take this out of like four payments, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, no problem. So if it's a thousand dollar camera, they take out 250 out of each paycheck and, Interesting. you know, it's, it's all good. And so that's kind of how I got started with, um, you know, with, with the stuff. And we had a lot of time on our hands as well. So like I would take stuff out of the box. I would play with stuff while I'm waiting for customers to come in, um, see what accessories are included, how do those accessories work, dig through menus. Um, because I, I learned over time that if I could navigate through these cameras uh, very quickly, when customers would come in and I would show them these products, I could really like deep dive into the product and be like, oh, let me show you this cool setting in the menu. And if you do this and it got people hyped up and, and you know, they, they found me as a resource when they were uh, attempting to buy whatever it is, cameras, camcorders, whatever. So um, that's kind of how it, how it all began, you know, um, <clears throat> just figuring things out from there. And then, like I said, it was that same curiosity. Like I started working in um, different avenues of sales. You know, I sold um, mortgages, I sold timeshare, I sold car parks, I sold, um, I mean, literally anything except for people and drugs <laughs> have not sold, but um, you know, so I, I just kind of took that same skill set and that same curiosity and, you know, took it to photography and here we are. Yeah. And then, I mean, I could imagine after selling all those things and some of them be, you know, being more difficult than others that when it came to selling your own photographs, that had to be <laughs> a little bit easier and also, um, had to be more rewarding than selling this other stuff for other people. Right. It is for sure. It's weird, you know, and I'm sure it's like that for any photographer starting out you know, making something and then people buying whatever that thing is, it's like, 
it's it's weird and trying to establish the value of it right right like it's easy for me to be like hey here's this bottle of aquafina water it's super delicious and it comes with this really nice plastic bottle that's uh biodegradable um and it's only a dollar would you like to buy one versus like here's my photo that i took and all i did was push it you know this is not what it is but all i did was just push a button on this camera and i want to sell it to you for a thousand dollars it's like I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, from the outside looking in, that's uh, that's a you know that was something that I struggled with starting out too, and I'm sure. I mean, I would imagine most people struggle with that starting out and just trying to how to how do you put a number on this thing that you created, um, and also then justify it to somebody as to why they should pay that. And um, because I think a lot of people without the experience or the technical knowledge of photography don't actually understand how much actually goes into creating an image and how much time spent learning goes into creating that next image that you're going to make. Um, it's just collectively adding on time and education as you progress in photography. And there is value to that. It's just hard to place that value and figure out for yourself, you know, what should I be charging in that scenario? Um, so I kind of wanted to get into then back. This is still kind of involved with the camera store. And I asked this because, um, our sponsored pixel connection for the podcast, um, they are a local camera store in Cleveland. You're familiar with them. Um, and they also do a variety of classes as well for photographers and videographers of different levels. Um, and I was just curious, did the camera store that you worked at also do classes and stuff too? Or what kind of piqued your interest into getting into educating and um, speaking at these conferences? Um, so they didn't. Uh, it was a, a retail store. Um, but uh, doing classes and stuff wasn't, uh, to my knowledge, it wasn't a thing, at least in our market in mm-hmm. Orlando, Florida at the time. It wasn't... Um, uh, it wasn't anything that was ever on my radar if it did happen. So they must not have done a good job marketing it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, yeah, to my knowledge, there weren't really any. Uh, what was the second part of the the, the question? Uh, just how you, so then um, what was your influence into getting started into the education world? And, you know, what made you want to kind of pursue that as well? You know, uh, now, I don't know exactly how you split your time between photography and educating. Um, it seems like education and stuff kind of, for most speakers, it seems like takes the forefront. Um, so I don't know how yours is exactly divided up, but what kind of led you into pursuing that um, and, and kind of giving back in in terms of like YouTube and speaking at these conferences? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was kind of an interesting thing because when I got into it professionally, it was 2011. Um, YouTube was out there, but it was still, you know, it's still relatively young, uh, still relatively new. Um, there wasn't that much content like there is today. Um, mm-hmm. where you can literally learn everything about photography, watching content now on YouTube. Um, but at the time I, I wanted to learn about photography. I was going to, uh, like individual workshops. I had friends that were photographers that I would hang out with and try to absorb whatever I could. Um, and, and what I really wanted to do, like I noticed as I was talking to these different people and going to these different workshops and then consuming the content that was readily available, that it was a different world than what I was used to. Like having worked in the retail world, the people that knew stuff, um, we're still like, like regular people to put it nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And and what I was seeing in the industry was that there were people who uh, had very big egos. It's the only way I can put it. Definitely. They were trying to teach. They weren't teaching, right? They were more like, in a sense, showboating, mm-hmm. but kind of low-key showboating. Like, hey, I can take these amazing photos. And if you work really hard, one day you might be able to take one as good as me. Mm-hmm. And, and I always felt like I was the type of guy who, you know, if you give me a recipe, I, I can cook. Like, I will make, I will follow the steps. And if you're you know, cake comes out that way and you gave me the exact recipe, my cake's going to come out pretty close. Yeah. And I felt like photographers were not giving the recipe. They were more like, like, look at this beautiful icing and and look at the intricate details that I painted on this cake versus like, okay, well, how much flour, how much, you know, icing, like what kind of icing? They're not like really digging into the nuts and bolts of how to create an image. And I said to myself, you know, if I ever figure this out, and I will figure it out, um, that I want to teach people who were like me, who like to learn and who like to know like the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty, like that aren't trying to make it look like some kind of mystical, magical process and just really like make it accessible Mm -hmm. for for the everyday person. And so um, I didn't know if that was going to happen. I didn't know, you know, how that would come about. Um, but you know, I said, Hey, if anybody would need help, once I figure it out, I'm going to put a hand out and help as many people as I can. And, you know, of course, YouTube became a big thing and, um, we, we have all these big conferences and things of that nature. And so as time went on, um, opportunities kept making themselves available and, uh, I'm always up for a challenge. So I'm like, cool, I'll, I'll try this out. Let's see where this goes. And, uh, and it's been like a crazy ride ever since. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Um, that's yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that too. I mean, I let's see. I started shooting back in 2000, uh, 2011. Yeah, it was back in two thousand eleven, um, and it did really seem like like well, you know, the further I got into it, as I was you know going to school for it, and I'm getting into looking at jobs and uh, internships and places where I can try to get in and start my photography career. That a lot of the people with the old school photography mentality came from this background of like, I need to keep my secrets because this is what separates me from everybody else. And then social media kind of brought this new wave of photographers out who were about, you know, sharing and helping. And the way I view it is like elevating the industry, right? Like getting people up to a new, a better level or to a new level where they, uh, maybe learning something that they'd never learned before. And, um, I even kind of ran into this where I'd talked to some older photographers at, uh, um, or I shouldn't say older, but people who have been doing it for a long time that maybe came from the, even the film era into the digital area and, and made digital era and made that transition and still it were able to have a successful business that they still felt like those were you know, industry secrets that they should keep under wraps. Um, Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I don't like from my perspective, it only seemed like it was hurting the industry and not letting people because those secrets would die out, right, eventually. Um, So it's, it's really refreshing to see people who are wanting to continue giving out this education, helping people bring their photography up to a new level. Um, Because from where I stand, I think it only helps, you know, people like you and me, then to justify that this is still a viable career path for 
people to go into it. Uh, you know, my parents' big concern of me going into photography was the starving artist argument, right? Yeah. How are you going to make money at this? It's so difficult. It's so hard. But then when you have all this information readily available, it's very easy to access and then apply and learn and just better yourself. Yeah, I remember actually when I started my photography career like 10 years ago, and I was telling people, you know, after um, being finding success working in corporate America and and uh, having a lot of like major wins and then telling people like, oh, you know, I'm going to start a portrait photography business. And people were like, are you OK? Like, <laughs> is everything all right? You know, do you, do you like they thought I was like down on my luck or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, for the for several years, um, you know, friends and family and people that were close to me really were not understanding the or seeing the vision that I saw that I could have as far as a career in photography. And um, I can see a lot of people starting out may have had the same type of, you know, uh, issues that I had, maybe Mm -hmm. better, maybe worse. But, um, you know, and, and so it's up to you to really show those people like, hey, this is a viable career path and it's beyond viable. I mean, I could say right now, like, the, the the amount of freedom that I have right now is not the kind of freedom I would have expected to have when I was like 20, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to say, okay, this morning, this is what I'm going to do for work. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have my shoes on right now. I'm just rocking socks, you know? <laughs> um, it's like, I'm in my studio, like mm-hmm. I can do what I want to do. Um, having that freedom and that flexibility is something that... Um, you know, if I would have gone a different route, maybe I still could have had that. But uh, to have it doing something that I love to do, meeting new people, mm-hmm. um, taking photographs of them and make, making them look awesome, like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And it's it's something that uh, not too many people can envision because not too many people have been able to do it, unfortunately. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, and it is, uh, as soon as you said that, I know, you know, the exact feeling of, you know, being in full control of your life and your career um, is really, you know, sometimes can be very stressful. And I mean, I'm sure as the the more, the longer you're in this career path, the more established you become and the easier some of these things get as opposed to somebody who's just starting out. But it is just a very rewarding feeling to know that, you know, you're not answering to somebody else anymore. Like this is your, you know, everything falls on you, which can be a lot of pressure. But at the same time, you know, those it is rewarding. You're making your own schedule and you can just kind of do what you please. And at the same time, like you said, doing what it is, what you love uh, all the time. And it, it is the best feeling, I think, um, ever since I was able to just go full time for myself. I've been so happy that I made that transition. Um, but that actually kind of leads me into my next question for you. Um so what was that process like for you building your business? Um, you know, coming from your corporate background and your retail sales background, um, what, what was that process like? I mean, how, how long did it take you to get to that point where you felt comfortable with kind of pursuing that um, and trying to turn that into your new career path? Um, I would say that uh, it took roughly around a year. Um, that first year, again, I, I didn't have the type of skill uh, that I have now. Um, I, I had a business background. I had a sales background. All of that stuff was super helpful, uh, but I wasn't as confident of a shooter um, as I am today. So 
that first year was really kind of a learning phase of just like, um, what kind of photographer do I want to be? You know, um, photographed all kinds of different stuff, events, weddings, um, maternity, mm-hmm. uh, baby photos, family photos. Like I d- took every job that would come through and I would set up my own photo shoots every week so that I could practice and I could improve. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think when it really kind of hit me was I started working as a photographer for a company that uh, some of the old timers that might watch this will, will remember. But um, there, there used to be this dating company called Great Expectations. Uh, they used to get spoofed on Mad TV all the time. But um, hmm. I worked for this dating company and I was a photographer. I got hired as a photographer to basically take profile pictures for the people who would uh, enlist the services of this dating company. And um, I went into it thinking like, oh, I'm just going to take some pictures of people and and that's it. But turns out that uh, this was very much a sales job, like 99% sales and like 1% of it was the photos that I was taking. Um, so through working there, I realized like, wow, you know, the first uh, month I was there, you know, the, the, the person who was there before me left saying, oh, Miguel, you're not going to make any money here. It's, this is a joke of a job, blah, blah, blah. I just had a really bad attitude. And um, 30 days in, and I was like one of their top salespeople across the entire organization. And, um, and I was like, well, I mean, if I can sell my photography working for this company with very limited resources, then why, why can't I do it for myself, mm-hmm. you know? If I have the ability to market myself and, um, you know, get out there, establish my own relationships, uh, why why can't I do this for myself? And so that's exactly what I did. You know, I set out to try to establish myself as an individual, as, a, a, as an artist here in Orlando. And um, things really accelerated when I moved up north and moved to New Jersey because the market is huge. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think there was a lot of value in moving up north and moving to that bigger market. And then now being back in Orlando, I kind of see some of the um, the old stuff, you know, when, when I started, like the old challenges that people have uh, trying to establish themselves in a market like this. And, you know, I, I feel for them. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, and, and that actually is another good segue into another question I had for you was, you know, obviously when building a business, you're going to be faced with a lot of hardships uh, in multiple capacities, right? Like, it, um, and a lot of times it's unpredictable. Um, so for listeners who like may be also in those early stages of building their business um, and, and trying to figure out how they can get to that next step, whether that be taking it from that kind of side hustle to a full-time job or, you know, they're in their first couple years of building this business out. What did you have any like advice that you could give them as to, you know, how to approach those situations if you do have a a hardship that comes up? Um, And, you know, just, it it doesn't have to be anything specifically, but generically of how to get through those hard times because they are inevitable when you're building a business. Um, You know, I, I think it's, um, really important to ask yourself the question, why do people buy anything? And and when you think about that and you understand that, it doesn't matter whether we're in good times or we're in bad times, uh, because when we're in bad times, like we experienced in 2020, people still buy stuff. 
right? And so you have to understand why does anybody buy anything? And then when you understand that, then you say, okay, so why would anybody buy what we do as as photographers? Why do people buy photos? Um, why do people pay for media? And you know, again, whether it's good times or bad, having that understanding of why people spend money, we can understand, okay, how do I, now how do I put myself in front of that money, right? If the money is being spent, um, how, how can I get in front of that? And so for me, that's what it's all about. And that's what I would say for people that are starting out, you have to ask that question, um, you know, why, and even to take it even further as a, as a study, like, why would anybody pay? Let's take a purse as an example. <clears throat> if why would you pay a thousand dollars for like a Louis Vuitton purse when you can go to Walmart and buy a purse for ten dollars? You know, mm-hmm. and and think through that. Like, why why would they do that? And people do it all the time because obviously Louis Vuitton is a you know a very established brand. They have the money to be able to get ambassadors and. Uh, famous people to photograph and be the the face of their campaign, um, you know. So so you have to think about these things. And obviously, as photographers, we may not ever be like a Louis Vuitton type of brand, but the principles are still the same. And so that's what we have to look at. Whether we're starting out or once we get established, it's the same thing, rinse and repeat over and over. Like, why do people buy stuff? And you know, why would they spend money on photography? And trying to answer that question is different for everybody because each market is totally different. But, um, you know, I think asking myself that question over the years has really helped me to hone in. Um, and also to to not be so married to the idea of only being a photographer. You know, nowadays, especially, you look at the cameras that are available and you have highly sophisticated uh, video recording machines as well. You know, like right now I'm, I'm, I'm on the a7s3. That's what I'm using as my webcam. Um, you know, it's highly capable video camera and it's great for taking stills too. my a7r4 shoots 4k video. Um, so, you know, constantly reinventing yourself and seeing where the market is moving, right. And, and trying to position yourself to make the most of that opportunity, you know, as much as I would love to be a photographer exclusively, the reality is 2020 turned me just as much into a videographer as I am a photographer. Um, you know, because obviously with COVID and everything going on, uh, as much as people would like to get portraits done, they're scared, you know, and you're in close proximity to people when you're taking their photos and, you know, but the need for media became bigger right? Because we're spending time at home. Um, you know, so that that grew while the photography side of things kind of scaled back a little bit. And you could say, okay, no, nope, I don't want to do video. And, and you know, hopefully you can survive for a year plus until uh, things hopefully get back to normal. Or you could say, you know what, I see where the uh, tide is changing and I want to try to get ahead of that. And you could still do photography. And hopefully once things get back to normal, you can jump right back in and uh, be successful. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the name of the game. It's like, you just really have to understand, like, why do people buy what they buy? And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, interesting study. 
Yeah. And I mean, and I think part of it, you, you know, briefly kind of touched on it there too, but is the consistency aspect of it too. And you've, mm-hmm. you've said a couple of things throughout this so far that kind of made me think of that. But like, even, you know, when you said you were starting out that you were planning your own shoots on a weekly basis on top of, you know, client shoots that you were getting. Um, and that was something that I also, when I came out of school, didn't do initially, but I soon realized that if I wanted to, you know, start attracting people to hire me, I had to be creating work that attracted that specific kind of person. And if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't creating that work, then nobody was going to know that I could do it. Nobody was going to see it. And nobody was going to obviously pay me to do it because they couldn't see me doing it. Um, But by getting into that rhythm of, okay, I need to, you know, this week I need to reach out to so-and-so to see if they want to do a shoot for the X and then next week, or, you know, on this weekend, I need to reach out to so-and-so, you know, just coming up with that schedule of, okay, I need to be regularly creating and pushing my limits and learning because that's the only way that one, I'm going to get better, but two, that I can build a business out of this. Um, and then also diversification of what you're doing. Like you said, like being a photographer, yeah, that's great. But if you, if you like, you know, we're recording this at the beginning of March. So if you reverse time a year ago, this time we weren't even really sure what was going to happen to the industry of photography as a whole, because they were shutting everything down. Um, and that was very concerning, but you're right. I mean, it, the people who adapted and were able to, you know, survive. And I don't know that the photography industry was hit as hard as others, like entertainment and yeah. service. But it, still, it was it was a couple months of uncertainty there. And I think the people who were able to adapt to that and switch into doing stuff like product photography, where it didn't involve, mm-hmm. you know, face to face contact or finding ways to work remotely and still create that content for your uh, customer. Or as you said, get into video. That was something I got into a little bit this year as well was commercial video. Really mainly simple, just talking head stuff, um, interview style, documentary style stuff. And it it's, was really simple to, you know, once I got the feeling for it, it was really easy to replicate. But then it became a whole second source of revenue for my business this past year, as opposed to just doing portraits and weddings and stuff, because it was just, you know, there's a, a need for that still. Everybody was still trying to figure out how can we sell to people online. And the way that they could do that is through content and they needed that content created. And so that was a great way for photographers to then offset, maybe not being able to work face to face with people directly. Um, so I think being flexible and having that adapt, uh, a, Adaptability. I don't. I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah, <laughs> it didn't sound right coming out. But yeah, being <laughs> being able to adapt in a situation that you have no control over is really key in building that business and just pushing your boundaries itself too. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's the same for any you know anything that a, a business would do. Like you know, for us as creators, as photographers, as artists, as business people. We have to garner attention to ourselves, to what we do. Uh, we need to be in people's headspace that we exist. Businesses are no different. And businesses had a challenge in 2020 trying to stay relevant uh, when people weren't going out and they're staying home. And it's like, how could I reach as a business person doing whatever it is that I do? How could I reach these people that are sitting at home? And so the video is it whether it be video ads, whether it be posting videos on social media, um, you know, you see the rise of like TikTok and, and mm-hmm. uh, Instagram reels. And, you know, it's like video became this big, huge thing. And so you can look at these trends and you could say, oh, yeah, that's cool. 
That's a trend. Or you can say, hey, how could I get involved with this and figure out ways to be able to um, survive, you know, because really for a lot of people, you know, 2020 was all about survival. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I actually found 2020 was more about thriving, you know, and it was more because I embraced that video side of things. And, um, you know, 2020 was a great year. 2021 so far has been a great year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but a lot of that comes from the fact that I embraced video and, uh, and embraced offering that to, to customers and to clients and brands and, and people that I work with. And so, um, you know, uh, it, it's, you got to do what you got to do. It was the same back then pre pandemic and it's the same now. And, um, that's that's the name of the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you would even hear, you know, or well, actually, I did hear from some, you know, older school photographers that the, you know, when that transition happened between film and digital, um, and everything really switched over to digital, that the the people who refused to switch and you know refused to accept that that's the direction that the industry was going, they ultimately hurt themselves by doing that. And, you know, many of those businesses ended up going out of business because they couldn't adapt to what was becoming the new normal. Um, and if you didn't adapt early enough, it just became that much harder to adapt later on when there's people already established doing it. So I think, you know, what you're saying there is uh, keeping an open mind about, um, you know, how you can innovate in difficult times as well as um, actually, maybe not even just in difficult times, in, in all times. If you if you yeah. see an opportunity that you need to act on it as opposed to – and I found myself doing this too, especially with TikTok. I refused for the longest time to even download the app because every ad I saw for the app was like the most horrible, yeah. cringy. cringy – yeah, just <laughs> terrible. And I was like, there's no chance you will never find me on that app. And then I just posted a, a video, I don't know, maybe like two weeks ago now. I haven't posted on it recently. But it did. It got 165,000 views on it. And I'm yeah. like, you know, if I look really back cool. – yeah. And <laughs> if I go back a year and a half, there's me sitting on the couch like, nope, there's no chance I'm ever downloading this app. And you just have to take those chances and – you know, see, maybe you won't end up using it, but it doesn't hurt to be there. That's another thing with, uh, you know, I don't know if you're on clubhouse right now or not, but that's another one that I'm kind of interested in. And I'm trying, I'm finding a hard time or sorry, I'm having a hard time trying to find time to fit it into my schedule and use that app efficiently. But I do like the idea of it. (laughs) <laughs> you I got it open. An iPad and I have it open because prior to us uh, going live, I was actually on Clubhouse. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, Clubhouse is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I just think, yeah, you just got to be open to that stuff and be willing to check it out. So, um, all right. I got one more for you before we get into some quicker, more fun questions here. But um, so initially, when I was you know, coming out of school, my process or what I wanted to do was to become a full-time portrait and then fashion photographer. Now, Cleveland's obviously not a great place to be doing fashion photography. You need to be in LA or, uh, you know, New York to really take advantage of that, I feel. But, uh, so I quickly learned that that was not going to be a viable option for me. Um, so, I've actually been working with uh, Scott Robert Limbs, who you know, and you guys have done some lives and stuff in the past, um, as a mentor. Um, and he gave me a piece of advice. Uh, would probably have been it was shortly after uh, PPF because that's where I met him at uh, Pixel Photo Fest as well. And uh, he he told me because I, I came to him like, hey, how do I really push my portrait business? How do I you know start making some serious money at portraiture? And what he told me, 
And it stuck with me even still to this day because I found it very interesting. I never thought about it this way, but he said, with portraits, you can make hundreds, but with weddings, you can make thousands. But Mm -hmm. obviously, there are exceptions to that rule. I think that you are probably one of those. So how have you managed to, you know, build up this portrait and beauty portfolio and differentiate yourself in a market where it's so highly saturated with people who are trying to pursue that? Um, You know, I, I see people all the time doing senior portraits and stuff, you know, the, the portraiture realm has so many people who are even just picking up their cameras for the first time. So how did you find an avenue where you could differentiate yourself and get to that upper echelon of portrait photographers? I think it's having that uh, motivation to just be different. Um, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier with the whole idea of like the Louis Vuitton purse, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are some portrait photographers out there who will, uh, do a portrait session for, you know, what amounts to like 10 bucks an hour. Um, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking that. Uh, I've always been of the impression and, and of the feeling that if I'm going to apply myself to doing something, I want to make as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, for me, I decided like, okay, how much value can I offer to where somebody would pay me more money. Like what, what, what would I have to do? What would that look like? And, you know, I realized early on, like it it doesn't, that doesn't even matter. Like that's not even important. Mm -hmm. You know, you could throw a number onto anything. And so long as you do the right things around yourself, you know, as far as your branding, as far as your, your marketing, you know, you can like Scott's right. Generally speaking, you make, a lot more shooting a wedding, but you also work a lot more. Mm-hmm, you definitely. Know? I, I, I've shot weddings. I've, I've second shot weddings with friends as well. Um, you know, the last wedding that I did, I remember telling the the person I was working with, I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> they thought it was funny. And I was just like, no, I'm dead serious. Like I refuse to do this again. It was a mm. super hot day. Um, you know, we're running back and forth. We literally, it's in New York. So like, if I say we went four or five miles, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're in New York, four or five miles is a lot and -hmm. it's super hot. You know, we're in buildings, we're going upstairs, we're carrying gear, we're walking through Central Park. It's hot, it's muggy. We're indoors now. It's just like, I I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like, this is exhausting. I don't care if you pay me 10 times the amount of money, it's not worth it because (laughs) when we're done with this, it's still not done. Right. We got to go. And you have to, you know, so you have all that side of things. So I I, kind of looked at it like, okay, it it is possible. I mean, there was a guy who sold a a photograph of a potato on a black (laughs) background for millions. And I think to myself, if he could sell a photo of a potato for a million dollars, I should be able to sell a portrait session for a few thousand dollars. Yeah. And, And what would that look like? What kind of people, again... What kind of people would buy that type of work? Well, companies would do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, companies spend a lot more on a lot of stupid stuff, right? Sure. Uh, let alone taking, uh, spending the money to get images that they can use to to make more money. Um, so it was kind of one of those things where I sat down and said, okay, where where do I go after the types of people that are willing to spend the money that I would like to make in portrait photography. And so that's what I chased after. And that's what I was able to find. Um, but oftentimes people get stuck in this like rut where they're just like, well, I guess I'm going to have to do like a photo shoot every single day, 30 days, you know, 31 days a month. 
to try to make the money that I want to make in photography because they're charging 150 bucks and doing mini sessions and doing all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm not into it. I'd rather have one client that pays me for the entire month than to do 30 individual jobs. So, you know, that's not for everybody. Not everybody has that mentality, but if you choose to do it, you could do it that way and be immensely successful and be happy and uh, set your own hours and and do all of that. It's just a matter of you just deciding that that's what you want to do and then researching and studying and being very curious about the types of people that would buy that Louis Vuitton purse. How could I be that Louis Vuitton for photography? Mm-hmm. How could I go and tell somebody <laughs> with a straight face, yeah, I'm going to give you two photographs. It's going to cost you $1,000. Yeah. You know, the same way that that salesperson in the Louis Vuitton store tells you with a straight face, yes, this leather bag that looks just like a Target bag is $1,400. And feels totally justified, you know? yeah. <laughs> totally. And you're like, wow, yeah, I'm buying that. Let me get yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it seems, you know, it seems to me that you're a person who values their time above everything else. I mean, just based off of a few mm-hmm. things you said, but, you know, well, one being that you'd rather take on that one client versus 30 clients to get the same amount, or, you know, or 10, 15, sorry, my dog's whining over here in the corner, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, 10, 15, 20 clients, whatever it is. Um, and then also the fact, you know, like you said about weddings too, that it's a long day and also work's not done when you leave the wedding, you got way more work behind you. So I think it comes down, you know, I, I think both are, you know, viable options that you can actually get to that full-time point. If you, if you're wanting to take on those mini sessions and do 15 of them in a day and you made $4,000 that day and it's a good day and you're happy with it. Awesome. You know, but yeah. at the same time, you can still get to that. I like that. Be the Louis Vuitton of photography. That's going to be a, that's definitely going to make it into a Instagram post here, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but true. you can also do that too. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people out here who are doing it, um, you know, y- yourself. And then, you know, Peter Hurley comes to mind as well as somebody mm-hmm. who's taking headshots and making thousands of dollars off of just portrait shots. So it's definitely be uh, doable. It's just finding that niche in the right customers who are going to be willing to pay that amount for you and every market has it you know even if you think you live out in the middle of nowhere and uh, no one's willing to pay to pay that there are markets nearby where people are willing to do that and um you know then it just really becomes like what type of people spend that kind of money and does my brand and the work that i produce appeal to that group of people you know sometimes just being exclusive makes you really interesting to to the people that uh, are willing to pay it. I, I know a lot of people that, you know, they would never spend that kind of money with somebody who um, who's easily attainable and easily accessible. Um, so, you know, it's just different for, for, for everyone. It's different for every market, but, you know, the clues are there. When you look at all of the brands that are out there, and I could think of hundreds at this point, of brands who like sell things at premium prices that you can get for much less elsewhere. And you look at it and and they give you the clues. You can see how they market. You can see how they package themselves. You can see all of that stuff. And it's not that hard to, to use that as a model and to take what you can from that and to replicate that, but just apply it to photography or apply it to video or apply it to both. Um, you know, it's, it's not as uh, complex. And I always tell people like, you know, I'm not the smartest guy out there. I'm sure most people can tell hearing me, but, um, you know, I graduated like just 
by the skin on my, you know what, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, you know, it was unfortunate because in later years when I started to uh, go to college and, and take college courses, I realized like, man, I guess maybe I wasn't as dumb as I thought I was. I was getting good grades. I was on the dean's list and stuff in college. And, and I was just like kicking myself because I wish I would have applied myself a little more when I was younger. But, um, you know, at the same time I say like, if I can do this and I could make, you know, a name for myself in this industry, being somebody who really just picked up the camera seriously like 10 years ago. Um, it really was like nine. It was October of 2011 because that's when I ended up leaving my, my day job. Uh, so it's been a little less than 10 years. If I've been able to do everything I've been able to do, um, people out there could do the very same and beyond. You know, they just have to ask the same questions, be curious, uh, be humble, be a student. Mm-hmm. You know, don't ever feel like you know everything that there is to know about everything and you, you can uh, figure things out. Yeah, I think and that's something that I've my, my dad always kind of like embedded that philosophy in me too of always be a student and never stop learning. And, um, you know, I, I think when you get to a point where you feel like you are, you know, everything that there is to know that that's when your growth stops as a, in an art or in business or in whatever, there's always somebody out there who knows more than you do. So there, there's no reason to ever stop there. Um, but you also, you know, it, you're a, a a testament to having a drive and a passion and pursuing something that you truly believe in and how that can actually, you know, amount to where you, you know, things you've never even imagined it could have came to. Um, and, and I think in photography specifically, I think there's a lot of people who like the idea of being a photographer, not necessarily the amount of work that it takes to become a photographer. And uh, I think that drive and passion is what ends up ultimately will end up separating people who kind of want it from the people who really want it. I, I would say so. I think it's an important uh, ingredient in, in success. But I, I also think that, you know, having thick skin is, is a really important ingredient, too. I mean, you're going to get your ass kicked a lot in this mm-hmm. industry um, by, by customers, by the you know, industry itself. Um, you know, you're going to be tossed around all the time. And so you have to have some pretty thick skin. Um, you got to be a student. You got to be resilient. You got to know when to uh, stop and when to go. Um, there, there's so much to it, but it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so fun, and I think that's where, like, if you have the passion, um, you'll you'll enjoy the ride more than than anything else. And I think that's a perfect spot to just end the, you know, the hardcore questions and the business oriented questions here. (laughs) So Miguel, thank you for all that information. And that was super helpful. Um, I know I learned from it. I'm sure everybody listening here will also be taking a lot out of it. Um, But like I mentioned, let's get into a little bit more of the fun stuff here, a little bit more lighthearted. So um, I'm sure between, you know, photography itself, um, speaking and educating and traveling to these conferences and events um, that you've been able to photograph at some pretty amazing locations. Um, and also being a, 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 you know, a Sony artisan, I, I was watching recently because I'm actually looking at 
I, I'm trying to decide between getting an 8514 or the 13514. Um, and so I was watching your video on it, and I, I saw it shooting at that the Sony kind of uh, what a PR marketing event for when the yeah. 135 came out. I think it was, or yep. I think it was, it was a press. Uh, it was like a press event. Yeah, and it looked awesome. So my question for you then is, where is your favorite place that you've been able to photograph someone's portrait at, Ooh. or photograph at generally? I guess. Yeah, that's that's a tough one because um, it's kind of weird. Like, I there's usually not like a place. It's more like just the experience of mm-hmm. photographing people. Um, I would say maybe like um, Valley of Fire in Las Vegas was a pretty cool place. Oh, sweet. Um, you know, pretty close by. I, I would go there for WPPI and I would take these little like road trip excursions um, just to like you know, have some mental health days, you know, just having fun and exploring. Yeah. Um, that, that was a really cool place. Um, but it's weird because with portrait photography, I feel like it's a lot more about the fun that I have photographing people the than mm-hmm. the locations that I'm at, especially because most of the time I do a lot of studio stuff. So like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that kind of plays into it, but yeah, that's a tough one. I would say Valley of Fire was a pretty, pretty beautiful place um, to be able to take pictures of people. And then Definitely. like afterwards, once they leave to be like, OK, I'm just going to keep shooting because this place is beautiful. Yeah, so. I'd actually I'd never <laughs> even heard of it. I just had to Google it really quick to see. It looks like it's I mean, visually just incredible there. But, and, you know. I'm so jealous of anywhere out west. I feel like because maybe it's just me being sick of the Midwest, but <laughs> but I look at all these places Imagine where I me in Orlando. <laughs> yeah, all, all we have is beaches. We yeah. have it's black. Oh darn, man! <laughs> what a bummer. It's just beaches. That's it. Which is cool, and we got Disney, but it gets old. It's yeah, very very cool. Yeah. And you know what? That's actually somebody from San Diego that I met. I was out there on a trip one time um, and I was just staying at an Airbnb and uh, it was uh, actually it was just a room that was in this guy's house. And he was there and I was talking to him about it. He's like, man, I I hate living here. And I'm like, how can you hate living in San Diego? Like, I mean, you're by the water. It's 75 degrees and sunny every single day. And he's like, it just gets old. Like you just get sick of it being constantly the same all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I could see that. But also, I, you know, we just had in, you know, a week ago here in Ohio, we had 20 degrees as the high for an entire week. So it's like, you know, yeah. So, you know, I I guess I'd miss fall time, but when we get to winter, you know, they could have that. So, yeah, (laughs) see, that's when you get, you get super successful, make a lot of money, buy a house in Florida. There you go. You know, and just come down for the winter, be a, be a snowbird. <laughs> That's what my grandparents said. They did that for the longest time, and I, I cannot blame them for that at all. I, I can see why they did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So next question for you here. What are your three favorite – or sorry, I'll phrase it like this. What are three piece, pieces of gear that you couldn't live without? Ooh. Um, Three pieces of gear I couldn't live without. I would say uh, a battery grip would be really tough to live without. I had to take photos for a while not using a battery grip and the ergonomics of any camera for me, no matter how big or small, um, especially when you shoot vertical so much. Mm -hmm. um, You know, it's awkward. Uh, So for me, a battery grip would be up there. Hmm. My camera bag. I, I'm the type of person like 
it took me years to like really uh, have this self-actualization. But like, I was always this guy, no matter where I worked, I was always the one who was carrying more stuff than what you should be carrying. And, uh, you know, like, I'm always the guy who's like, I'm standing at the door and I'm like awkwardly just trying to like hold everything and like hold the door open. <laughs> trying to squeeze um, a softbox through it. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you know, and people are looking like, man, this would be a lot easier if you just like packed everything and just, you know. Um, so I, I would say uh, I have a think tank roller bag that I've okay. had literally from like day one. And, uh, and I'm looking at it now and it's still like functioning, which is crazy considering where it's been. Uh, but a good camera bag is worth its weight in gold. Like I know where everything is, you know, mm -hmm. and it's easy to kind of take back and forth. Um, and, uh, I would say third would probably be my, uh, my rocket blower, you know, yeah. just like that's, that's super clutch. Like being able to go and just, uh, clean your gear and keep it looking good. Um, not just for the fact that I want to use it and make sure that it works well, but um, I'm one of these guys who like I sell my stuff all the time, mm -hmm. and and I usually get top dollar for my gear, and it's because I try to take care of it, clean and take care of it. And so um, having that for me, it's it's not just for me to enjoy it and for it to be clean, but when I get ready to sell it, I end up uh, basically renting the gear that I buy. Yeah, because I, I get that much money back. Yeah, that's actually the rocket blower is a super underrated piece of equipment that I didn't have for a long time. And then when I got one, I was like, why did I never buy one of these? Like, yeah, <laughs> they, it seems like a no brainer. But, the, you know, most people are just like, meh, whatever. Uh, yeah, but I don't need it. It's like much. 12, you know, 10 to 15 bucks that I don't need to spend. And then I use it before every single shoot. Now, I mean, it's so clutch, especially if you're swapping lenses out on a regular basis, too. Yeah, um, for sure. It's, it was a game changer. Yeah, that's a great piece. Uh, definitely worth looking into if you know anyone easy. listening hasn't had one. Yeah, super um, easy one. Cool. So a lot of our listeners here are um, you know transitioning or in in the transition process of going from hobby to a career with photography or videography. Um, now let's assume that somebody listening here is uh, wanting to really get into the studio portrait side of photography. Um, where would you recommend they get started? And are there any must-have pieces of equipment that when you're getting started on studio photography specifically that you should be looking into? Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, start off simple. Start off with one light, uh, two modifiers. Start off with a hard light and a soft light, which could be uh, you know, a beauty dish and a softbox. It could be an umbrella. You could have two umbrellas. You could have one umbrella with a silver interior, one with a white. Mm -hmm. Buy like a diffusion panel to throw over the top of it. Um, buy a stand with wheels and uh, that has casters where you can actually like just lock the wheels so it doesn't move. And um, and your trigger, you mm -hmm. know, and literally with one light and maybe a reflector, um, which doesn't have to be a reflector. I mean, you can go to like a dollar store and just buy like a white foam core board and just mm -hmm. use that, you know, but, um, learn everything that you could possibly do with one light. And, and from there it was kind of interesting because I learned the wrong way. The, the way that I learned was like, I bought three lights and, and I turned them all on for the very first time and fired them all before I knew what either one of them could do. Uh, and, and, and I was feeling like I always had to try to fix problems that I was creating myself by using more lights than what was actually necessary. So um, 
you know, I, I eventually stripped down and said, okay, I'm, I'm only going to use one light and figure out what I can and what I can't do. And what I realized is that there's a lot you could do with one light. And I would say most of what I do these days is using a single light. Um, the times where I bring in a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth light, um, there's very specific reasons for it, you know, as opposed to like, oh, well, I'm just using it because I saw a video and they were using five lights, you mm -hmm. know, uh, which is what, what happened to me. So somebody who wants to start out, I mean, it could even be a speed light. Yeah. You know, buy a speed light with a way to modify it with hard and soft light, put it on a stand and uh, get a friend, you know, spouse, whoever, and, and just start shooting and just practice. And the cool thing is that unlike myself and, and unlike you, when we were, were first starting and first kind of getting out there, YouTube is there, you know, uh, Pixel Connection puts on events as well. They have uh classes where photographers come in and they teach these things. Um, so a lot of it, you know, while you're at home, you could sit and learn, watch videos. And the big thing is, and I think this is where a lot of people starting out kind of struggle, they'll learn, they'll watch the videos, they think they understand it, but they don't execute it. And so it's like they become these, what I call theoretical photographers, where if you talk to them, they can tell you, oh, yes, you just have to do this, this, and this. But then when they go to take their own photographs, you, you like it doesn't work because they haven't been shooting. So, you know, I think you have to go from that uh, realm of like theoretical photography where you're you, you can see it and you can understand it when it's being told to you. and You can regurgitate it back, but you move from that to actually having your own gear and taking your equipment out and practicing and learning all the nuances of mm -hmm. like if I have my light here versus having it here versus having it above. Uh, versus having it behind me, like what does all of this stuff do uh, to to a person when you're photographing them, or to a product, or whatever type of photography you might be doing with these flashes? So um, it doesn't have to be difficult. Like I say, just start off with the one light, and you should be good. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the, it, it just gets it gets more complicated and more convoluted the more you add to it, and then the more places it can go wrong. Um, and by minimizing the chances of something going wrong and you having to spend time troubleshooting it, that's going to ultimately lead you to understand what you're using better. And then when you get to that point where you're ready to add in that second or third or fourth or fifth light that you, you already know what it needs to look like or where you need it or the placement, it becomes that much easier because you've seen it um, as you experiment with it. That was something I wish I would have done more of when I was starting out working with flashes um, and strobes in the studio was, you know, and that, the, and I kick myself for it because it was so readily available to me at, you know, going to college for, we had our own studio, we could rent it out. It was no cost. It had all the, you know, wow. we had pro photo lighting equipment. It was so great. And Crazy. I, d I don't want to say I have resented it, but like I looked at it as more of a chore to go into. And I'm like, man, I wish I had that then because now that I'm out, I have to buy all that stuff. Yeah. And, I, and so, so I've, you know, since it's been, you know, four years since I graduated, I've been able to acquire stuff and do my learning stuff. But yeah, if I mean, get a speed light and set something up in your basement and just mess around with it. Figure out what's going to work. And then when you get into that scenario where you need to add in a, more lights or whatever, you can just figure it out in that point instead of just wasting all this time trying to make things convoluted and messy. You said it. Cool. I, I agree with you 100%. Take out any little thing. I would take bottles like water bottles, soda cans, set them up on a table and just try to take photos of that, you know, using flash and... 
it's uh, you could do something every day to, to kind of move things forward and to learn new things. Yeah, very easily. Cool. So we're going to get into a lightning round. We asked all of our guests these same questions. Um, I, I did add one in specifically for you, but um, I but all these questions, very easy. We're going to fly through them. So Mac or PC? Uh, definitely PC. Ah, interesting. Okay. Zooms, Zooms or Primes? Uh, primes. Primes. Interesting. Um, okay. Natural light, off-camera flash, or constant lighting? Uh, off camera flash for sure. I mean, that's just, I I appreciate natural light and I appreciate portraits that are taken with natural light, but man, it's, there's something to be said to make whatever light it is that you want to make using, using strobes. I agree. I view it the exact same way. Uh, Lightroom or Photoshop? Um, hmm. (laughs) Uh, you kind of need one before you do the other, but I would say Photoshop for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of the magic of, uh, of a picture is really kind of like crafted in Photoshop. So definitely. I agree with you there too. Um, are you a coffee or tea drinker or neither coffee? Yep. Coffee all the way. Oh, yeah. Right on. Cool. All right. And then this one's my specific for you. Uh, what's your favorite anime of all time? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, so I would say of all time, like the 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 anime that got me into anime was one called Ninja Scroll. Okay, I've heard of uh, that. Yeah, that's what got me into it. It was actually a movie, um, and that's what kind of introduced me to it. But you know, if I was to say like what I've enjoyed more uh, over like a long period of time, it has to be Naruto. Mm-hmm. Like that's just man. Yeah, that's that's the only show I could say that actually made me like tear up as a grown man. Yeah, I know. Same. And I <laughs> I just had my girlfriend watch it actually too for her first time and she like could not believe how emotionally attached she became to these anime yeah. characters. It's um, it's crazy. You would never imagine it until you watch it and you're just like you have to take a, a step back like I, am I tearing up over like what could be perceived as a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is not right. This is weird. Right. Shake it off, man. And then uh, I was also going to say, I also just started, uh, well, I shouldn't say just started. We finished through season three of Attack on Titan 2, which is giving me a, uh, a close second to Naruto, but also yeah. just a generally crazy show in terms of as far as animation has come. Um, it oh, is yeah. pretty impressive. It's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. It's almost like, uh, especially when you when you think of the animation that um, you know was around in like the eighties and nineties, right? And see what they're doing now, and it's like, how's this possible? <laughs> it's know? it's very um, visually impressive. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's That's crazy. for sure. It's so enjoyable. Definitely sweet. So for our phone questions, my last one, we out we also ask all of our guests this too. Um, just because we we believe that, like, you know, of course, YouTube is a great resource and there's ways to learn. But, um, you know, uh, my old host was a big reader himself or co-host, I should say. My old co-host was a big reader himself. So we always like to ask if you have any recommended reading materials for people listening that may help them either one, elevate their photography or their business. I do. I do. I'm going to I'm going to open up my my uh, my um, audible right now. and I'm going to tell you. Three really good ones. Oh, sweet. Um, so uh, first one that I would say that has been really helpful. I'm actually going to go back because I read this one a while ago and I revisit it often. Um, uh, one is called Grit by Angela Duckworth. 
uh, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Fantastic book. Um, the second one that I would say would be really good is The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Um, that was actually a game changer for me because the premise of the book was like really simple in that most people fail because they think that success requires a very specific amount of work. And what they don't realize is that it actually takes a lot more work than what they're expecting. So they never reach that level of success. Hmm. And that's where it's like, you know, you have to do 10 times the amount of work uh, that you think in the beginning to reach success. And um, so it was a really, really good book. And this one, there's two actually. So we're going to say four. Both okay. of them are by Robert Greene. One is called 48 Laws of Power, which was like a major just uh, eye-opening book. And he has another one, which is the Laws of um, laws of Human Nature. Two really, really good books if you want to understand um, how you look back on history and you see uh, the rise of kingdoms and the rise of like really important people and then the fall of these people. Um, it's just a really interesting historical uh, look at you know, human nature and of power. And uh, it's it's been so valuable to me as a business person who's working with people that oftentimes are much more uh, powerful than myself. So. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, uh, that 10X rule sounds really interesting because I think that may be a good reality check book for a lot of people who are, you know, feeling like they may not be getting to where they want to get or they're, you know, feeling like they're treading water and not, you know, they're just not getting to that next step. And that may be a good eye opener for those people who kind of feel that they're stuck somewhere right now. Yeah, there, there's definitely, I don't know what the percentage would be for me, but I would say it's a good, at least 10% of, of where I am today um, kind of came from that book uh, and, and that understanding of like, okay, I thought I needed to do these specific things and, and I work really hard to like reach that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is like, it takes a lot more work. And if you understand that it's a bigger mountain to climb, then you prepare yourself differently and, right. and you climb a lot higher than what you would have originally anticipated. Yeah, definitely. That's super, super great tip. Um, so Last thing we got for you, Miguel, and then I'll let you go. Um, we definitely appreciate your time today. I, I really am honored to have you on here talking with me today. Um, but we do, well, I should say we started a new segment here um, where we are actually bringing in questions from listeners um, and yeah. asking our pros that we are interviewing. So if you got time for a couple more questions, I'd love to give you a couple that we had filled out. Sweet. Right. Perfect. So, all right, here's our first question. And this comes from Chris R. Um, and he says, I want to get into using flashes with my photography. What is a good beginner flash to get me started? Um, so there's there's a lot of really good flashes these days. Um, you know, here's, here's what I would say. You would be really uh, good if you were to invest in good lighting to start out. And, and, and I say this not because, like, I'm an ambassador for ProPhoto, mm -hmm. um, but I can say that over the years, like, I started out knowing that I would love shooting with off-camera flash. And I bought the cheapest lights that I could buy, you know, throughout the course of the years. Mm -hmm. and, and they don't last. Um, 
you know, a lot of them just uh, don't have that shelf life and I end up having to buy them and replace them. And, uh, you know, looking at lenses and like camera bags, like I have the same camera bag now for, you know, eight or nine years. Um, I have lenses that I've owned for a long time and my lighting, I feel like they're like tissue paper. Like I just go through them all the time. So I would say if you have the budget and it doesn't have to be pro photo, but you know, get yourself a good light to start off with. But, um, you know, if you're starting off and you're on a budget, Westcott makes a really good, it's an FJ 400. I think they have an FJ 200 now as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, both fantastic lights, uh, to get started with great system that, uh, integrates with other, uh, brands of flashes as well. Um, so I would say if you're on a budget, uh, the FJ 200 and FJ 400 are great, like fantastic options to get started. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think those were, the, if I'm not mistaken, they were those are somewhat newer uh, flashes that have come out as, and I think kind of in uh, response to the Godox systems that came out at you know very affordable price points, um, yep. which I that's personally what I use is the Godox systems. The eighty two hundred was the first one. Well, wasn't the first one, but it was my the one that I have now was the first or my lighting system I have now. The 8200 was the first one I bought. It was pretty affordable and also very versatile in terms of using it as off-camera flash or even, you know, finding, you know, well, actually they have a great tool to combine multiple of them. If you wanted to combine two 8200s together to get 400 out of it, you can. So I think it's a very good and versatile one to look into too and an mm -hmm. affordable price for somebody who's just wanting to experiment and maybe not ready to shell out, you know, up to a thousand dollars on lighting equipment. Yeah. Um, I awesome. Agree with you. So, totally. second question we got here, and this is our last one here, and this is from Matthew. He is asking. Um, he says, "I am trying to build a portrait photography business, but I'm finding it hard to reach new customers. Do you have any tips on how I could reach new customers easier?" Yeah. Um, reaching new customers, oftentimes you have uh, active approaches and passive approaches. And I think for a lot of photographers, they spend a lot of time doing the passive stuff, uh, meaning like I made a Facebook post today and I'm just mm -hmm. going to sit back and wait for people to see this post, have the um, inclination to want to reach out to me and to book a photo shoot uh, when it, that rarely happens. Um, or they do an Instagram post or they send out an email blast or something like that. Um, but there are active ways for you to market yourself as well. So pre-COVID, I used to go to a lot of networking events. Um, I would go to local uh, young professional networking events. I was a member of Toastmasters. I would go to Toastmasters groups pretty much uh, every week where there were business people, lawyers, doctors um, who would all interact with me and they all knew I was a photographer. Um, so I, I would say try to find ways in your local market to get in front of people so you can have the opportunity to talk to them, interact with them, let them know that you're a living, breathing human being who happens to be a photographer. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll find uh, new opportunities that you may not have come across. And it may not be with those people specifically, but it's all about building out your network. And, and your network has to be real people. I'm not talking social media where you, mm -hmm. I got 5,000 friends on Facebook. Right. But yet, you know, if I'm in a pinch, I couldn't call one of them to come and help me if I have a flat <laughs> tire on the side of the road, right? So, like, you have to think about your network and building out an actual physical in-person network that knows who you are, knows what you do, and 
they have their own network of people and they have their own network of people and it just branches out. So if people know that you're a photographer, you know, whether they can use you or not, if they come across somebody who needs those types of services, they're going to be like, hey, I know this guy that I go to this, you know, event with. Um, even like your local church, uh, getting involved in 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 church and going to uh um, you know, church events and talking and networking with people. Like there's so many opportunities to network out there, even virtually now that um, you, you, you have to get in, you have to just jump into those things. And, um, and that's where you build your business. And that's where you gain attention for who you are and what you do. That's yeah. You know what? That's not where my head went first when I read that question, but mm -hmm. as you explained it, that's 100% a big part of how I was able to build up clients, I, I would say, because when I first came, you know, I went to school not in Cleveland. I went to a different school and came home and I had like next to no connections after spending four years at a different city. Um, and the way that I ended up making new connections and getting involved into, you know, the local camera photography scene here was by attending those networking events. And then as well as starting to host some of my own. Um, right. and, and that made a huge difference. Um, in terms of, well, one, you know, a, a few things, but it, like it gave me some credibility. It also mm -hmm. allowed me to make multiple connections and people began to trust me more as a, you know, like you said, being active and going out and facilitating and building these relationships with people. Um, and then people would start looking to me for, you know, certain things, you know, they would start, you know, direct like people I would just meet at these events would start directing people my way just because of that brief connection, but it's face to face and not that social media connection where you may right. have talked to somebody 15 times online, but you know, what, what is that worth when you don't have that face to face or person to person connection and you're separated by screen. So that's actually a really great tip. I think going out to as many networking events, uh, we actually have an episode of the podcast from our first season called, uh, your network is your net worth. And, uh, yeah. I think that is, I like that. Yeah. So that's like right that on bar actually. there. And it's the truth. I mean, I, I, I don't know that, um, that I could do the things that I do if I didn't have that ability to network. And I'm thankful that I had careers where I literally had to go like, you know, knock on doors and, and, and meet people that I've never met before and, and try to just be on their radar you know, for whatever it was I was trying to sell, you know, that they would think like, oh, I, I know this guy and he does this. And uh, it was so valuable to me in other avenues and other pursuits. And um, the weird thing is I got into photography and it was still valuable. So I guess it's just, um, you know, it's just like drinking water is healthy for you. It's, it's <laughs> universal. So... Definitely. Awesome. So I'm just going to throw this out here. If anyone listening does have a question that they would like to ask a professional on a future episode, um, please feel free to email them over to social at the pixelconnection.com and you may hear it on an episode coming up. But that's all we have for today. So Miguel, I just wanted to thank you one more time for joining me today on the podcast. Um, and then I wanted to give you the option to go ahead and plug yourself. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your photography, your education, where are you at online? Yeah, so you can check me out at miguelquiles.com. That's where all of my work is. Social media links are through the website as well. Uh, but I would invite you guys, search me on YouTube. Uh, I have at this point several hundred videos talking about photography, talking about business, 
Um, I share the story of, um, you know, how I started my career, uh, as well as challenges that I've had, heartaches that I've had, gear reviews, uh, you name it. So if you search me on YouTube, you'll find my own YouTube channel. I create content for Sony uh, for their Alpha Universe YouTube channel as well. So, uh, you know, if you want to learn and you want to carry this uh, some more, definitely check me out there. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll second that. Anytime I have any questions about any new Sony products or Sony product I'm interested in purchasing myself, I always have to go check out what Miguel has to say about it. So um, yep. definitely check him out there. And again, one last time. Thank you, Miguel. Appreciate you hopping on today. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. You as well. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in and listening. All right. Bye-bye. Wow, that was a awesome interview we just had there with Miguel. I uh, There's so much knowledge that he dropped in that, but I just wanted to take a second to let you guys know about a little bit of news from our sponsor over at the Pixel Connection. The Pixel Connection wanted me to let you guys know about the announcement for the release of the new Sigma lens. It's the Sigma 28 to 70 millimeter f2.8 DGDN Contemporary. With a lighter weight and compact size, the lens is going to be much more everyday use friendly than their 24-70 f2.8 DGDN art lens and also comes in at $200 less. At the time of its release, the 28-70mm will be the smallest and lightest full frame f2.8 standard zoom for the mirrorless cameras. The Sigma 28-70 f2.8 DGDN contemporary for E and L mounts can be pre-ordered using the link below in the show notes. And for all of the latest updates regarding photography and cameras and all types of equipment, be sure to check out thepixelconnection.com and visit their blog for updated releases on all new products. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Talking Pixels podcast. I know I learned a ton from Miguel, and I hope you did too. So if you like what you heard, please be sure to save this episode and follow the podcast for more. And thank you guys again for tuning in. I'll see you in our next episode.